Last week we began to talk about how Christ came to lead us to grow. This morning we want to continue to think about that as we learn more regarding the nature of Christian maturity. Please uh, go, let's go to the Lord in prayer before we read. Father in heaven, we, we need the scriptures. We need your spirit to illuminate to our hearts. We pray that these words wouldn't fall on deaf ears. We pray that they wouldn't fall on minds that misunderstand. And give us clarity. Give us direction. Give us Christ. Give us growth. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with me for the reading of God's word. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they will keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful, and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. In the mid-16th century, Charlotte de Bourbon, a member of the royal family of France, was sent to a convent at the age of 13. Her mother was a Protestant and had been secretly training her daughter in Reformation theology. When Charlotte's father found out, he shipped her off to an abbey in Normandy. However, while there, someone smuggled Protestant tracts into the convent, and Charlotte began to read them. And as she did, her mother's words and prayers began to come back to her. As she thought about the gospel her mother conveyed, and the grace these booklets described, Charlotte was converted. But what happened next was key. She began to grow. There was feet to her faith. She stopped using rosary beads and praying to saints. She boldly told others that acceptance with God comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And she was a kinder person. Charlotte was maturing. 
Her belief in Christ led her to take the shape of Christ. She was showing spiritual growth. How's our maturity? If someone could take our spiritual pulse, what would it be? Non-existent? Barely beating? Irregular? Our text helps us to evaluate ourselves along these lines. It provides a spiritual checkup. It outlines the symptoms of unhealthiness. It gives a remedy for improvement and a plan for spiritual growth. Last time we talked about how Christ is the cause of our growth. There, that there is no advancement in the faith without Christ powerfully and graciously working in us. And then we also delved into the character of our growth, moving through eight qualities described in verses 5 through 7, and how we ought to work hard to foster them. This morning, we need to think through two other aspects of spiritual growth. We start with the results of growth. What is the impact of Christian maturity? If we grow, what will happen? Verses 8 and 9 highlight two things. But I want you to notice how Peter starts. Look at the beginning of verse 8. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, which from the get-go tells us the results of spiritual growth will not come independent of advancement in holiness. There will be no moving forward in living for Christ without taking off the old man and putting on the new. It's like you're on a road. And you have no means of transportation except your two feet. And you won't go anywhere without doing what? Putting one foot in front of the other. Similarly, you and I will experience no benefit of walking with Christ if we are not actually placing one foot in front of the other on the road marked godliness. Therefore, we must be active and diligent in this pursuit. Peter is asking then, out of gratefulness for the gospel, are you really increasing in these qualities? Or have you just dialed it in? Are you trying to coast spiritually? If so, know this. You are like a driverless car on a hill in neutral. You are not standing still or slowly inching forward, you are going backwards, quickly. You are in danger. Instead, strive to move forward in the faith, superabound in godliness. That's the idea behind the word increasing there in verse 8. You are not going to be perfect in this life. That's true. We all know that. But still, you are to add the qualities listed in verses 5 through 7 so that they, they, they spill out. Which means you don't say, well, I don't need any more faith. Or I have reached the pinnacle of self-control. Rather, you, you keep pouring them into you, making them profusely run out. 
And I know, I know, that is not how you water plants, by just keep dumping water in more and more and more. But it is what you do concerning godliness. Keep pouring in holiness. And if you do, what will be the result? One thing is, you will be kept from, verse 8, being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you sit here this morning and you are a gardener, you know that fruitfulness can be hard to come by, right? You fertilize the soil, plant the seeds, water, pull up, pull up the weeds, do all of this repeatedly, and still you may not get a crop. Those activities don't necessarily ensure fruitfulness, do they? But that is not the case with spiritual growth. There is a surefire method to maturity. And do you know what it is? Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and knowledge and self-control and steadfastness and godliness and brotherly love, brotherly affection and love. Push forward in sanctification. Spend yourself in following Christ. And do you know what will happen? As you obey the Lord, you will grow in your knowledge of him. You will know his help. You will know his heart. You will know him personally and intimately. Which reinforces something that we talked about last week, but needs to be pressed again. Following Christ will lead you to be more formed unto Christ. That's what happened to Rosaria Butterfield. Remember her? The former queer theory professor at Syracuse University who was converted to Christ. She didn't fully understand why she should obey God's law regarding her sexual ethic, but she yielded anyway. She trusted Christ and obeyed Christ, and through that, over time, God gave clarity regarding why same-sex attraction was sinful, and he helped her to battle temptations. What's the takeaway for us? If I want to mature in Christ, I must obey Christ. If I want clarity, I must follow Christ. If I don't do that, verse 8, I will be useless in the church and unfruitful at making it through life. I will be a source of frustration for people and I will be an unstable person amidst hardship. Which, of course, none of us wants. But too often we fail to see the rather simple truth that the root cause of a difficult marriage that is filled with conflict and cold silence or a difficult person who has left broken relationships in their wake is due to a lack of holiness. A person who is unconcerned with Christ and likeness to Christ will be shown inept and unproductive. Is that us? But spiritual growth prevents ineffectiveness and unfruitfulness. So pray for growth. Seek to grow. Humble yourself. Doing so won't eradicate all your problems in life, but it will help you navigate them. 
Yet we also learn here that Christian maturity results in being kept from forgetfulness. Remember that awful condition that I confessed to having several weeks ago? Obliviskitis. Sounds horrible, doesn't it? It's just forgetfulness. All of us have that problem, I'm sure. But Peter says in verse 9, to lack godly character is like being so nearsighted that you are blind to the fact that you have been forgiven of your sins. Meaning, if I don't pursue holiness in real tangible ways, then I will become absent-minded about even the most basic things of the faith. Like how Jesus takes away all my guilty stains. So that we are being told here how holiness can have a numbing effect upon the heart. Unholiness can desensitize us to the gospel. It can make us forget about Christ. Think about it like this. When we blow up in anger, lie to others, think lustful thoughts, or act in selfish ways, what do we do afterwards? Maybe we feel bad for what we did and run to Christ. Perhaps we say, was it for crimes that I had done? He groaned upon the tree, amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. If we say that, that's good. But what comes next? Is there change? Or have we shown our forgetfulness? Christ's cross should drive us to be about killing sin. When we are not, we show our spiritual amnesia. But to remember Christ means that you not only come to him for forgiveness, but also to spur you to holiness. As one put it, the same blood that cleansed me from sin's stain has also purchased the holiness I am called to live out every day. Moral fruitfulness is linked to gospel mindfulness. Did you catch that? Moral fruitfulness is linked to gospel mindfulness. How operative is Christ's work in your life, in my life? Are we growing? If not, then I shouldn't be surprised if I become nearsighted in Christ's work of forgiveness, that my heart becomes indifferent to his death and resurrection. Unholiness can lead to forgetfulness, forgetfulness of Christ, because it dulls you to the gospel. But know this, if you go hard after godliness, then you will know more deeply the richness of God's love in his son. How is that possible? Well, as you seek to imitate your savior, you will find fresh resources directing you to God's pardoning grace. Brothers and sisters, as we think about our pursuit of righteousness, we know that we are all deficient in it. Last week, we talked about the, you know, Peter's eight marks, sanctification listed in verses 5 through 7, and we were pressed to grow in them. How did you do? This past week. How's your 
self-control? How's your brotherly affection? Maybe you fell way short of what you had hoped. Perhaps you can say with the hymn writer, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. But hear the good news. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And all who are plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. And this is a message that comes to you in the midst of dying to self and living unto Christ. In fact, this gospel won't impact your heart like it should. If you're not striving forward in sanctification. And of course, on top of this. Christ's work to cleanse, to cleanse you, should fuel, should fuel your godliness. The gospel should, should strengthen your step as you walk in Christ. It should put more vigor and want in your soul to follow Christ. As you reflect upon Jesus' cross, you will be more willing to hold tightly to your Savior's nail-pierced hands and go wherever he directs you even when it's on a hard road. Do you want to be guarded from fruitlessness and forgetfulness? Seek to grow spiritually. Immerse yourself in the word. Memorize scripture. Meditate on scripture. In temptation, stop and call to mind scripture. Preach to yourself. Pray fervently. Resist the devil. Confess your sins. Fight hard to grow and do all of this with others who will support you as you fight. Doing so will result in effectiveness in the faith and mindfulness of God in his ways. But you might think to yourself, well, that's all fine and dandy, but so what? It could be that you are not convinced about the significance of what Peter is stressing here in this text. Spiritual growth, that's great, but... What's the big deal? I'm going to heaven anyway. Well, next, consider the importance of growth. Why the emphasis to mature? Why push so hard? Well, growth reveals the state of one's faith. Or even whether there is any faith. Peter starts in verse 10 by saying, Therefore, or because you have been cleansed of your sins, because you don't want to be forgetful and fruitless, here's what needs to happen. But before we look at the action that he calls for, consider his audience for just a minute. To whom is, is Peter speaking in this text? It's primarily to professing believers. Hence the word brothers that you see in verse 10. And those brothers include both sheep and goats. Now, I am not a sheep farmer. I don't play one on TV. I lived on a sheep farm for one week in New Zealand. It was a miserable experience. Besides not being ecstatic over the Vegemite that we had to eat, which is absolutely disgusting, I, did, I didn't really care for the sheep either. But even I know that from a distance, when the herd is all jammed back, you know, jammed together, 
It can be difficult. Difficult to discern between the sheep and the goats. And Peter knew that on a spiritual level. He understood there were genuine believers in his audience and some who might not have been. He was aware of Christ's teaching about the wheat and the tares. So he said, look at verse 10, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Now, I want you to work hard to try to follow me. There are things here that are not easy to understand. But as Greg noted last Sunday night in the evening sermon, just because something is complex in Scripture doesn't mean that it's not true. Think about it this way. Math nerds, calculus is hard, right? Science nerds, so is inorganic chemistry. But we're not sitting around here doubting those things just because they're complex. Likewise, we shouldn't hear as we talk about some difficult things. So let's start with what does Peter mean by election in verse 10? He uses the word repeatedly throughout his letters to refer to those God predestined unto salvation before time. And just to make sure there's no misunderstanding, we're not talking about God capriciously racing through humanity, putting a check mark by these and not those. Like I might an old high school annual identifying friends and not friends. Instead, it involves God graciously choosing to save a people unto himself who deserve destruction and have no ability to rescue themselves. And as one writer put it, election does not exclude anybody from the kingdom who wants in. Rather, it includes those whose direction is away from the kingdom of God and who otherwise remain forever in the kingdom of sin and death. And listen, I know that some of the things that have just been said may lead to questions that you have in your mind. I get it. Election is not easy. But it's right here in this text, and it's all throughout the scriptures. We're not gonna, it's not the focus of this text, and so I'm not going to press it any further. But as has been stated many times, if you have questions or concerns regarding this or something else, Come and talk. Don't let your pride keep you away. Peter references election. But also calling. And that is a word he has used repeatedly to point to a result of election, being born again. So that in time and space, the elect sinner is spiritually awakened by the Spirit, through the preaching of the gospel. He or she is made alive on the inside. You might be thinking to yourself, well, that's great, but what does all this have to do with spiritual growth, election, calling? So what? Well, Peter says in verse 10, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, or hasten to be more sure that you are elect and born again. Or be eager to show that you are indeed a true believer. And how do you do that? You persevere in spiritual growth. Yes, you have put your faith in Christ. And he is the ground of your assurance. But that faith in him should also lead you to keep going in godliness. To strive forward in sanctification. Because you're so grateful for Jesus' work for you. 
And we could say that there is an edge to what Peter is communicating that can be expressed in this way. Someone comes to me and says, Pastor Cliff, can I talk to you for just a minute? I'm not sure that I'm a Christian. I don't know if I'm a part of the elect. And my response might be, of course you're not sure. You are cheating on your spouse. You cuss like a sailor. You're a perpetual gossiper and complainer. And that is something we need to soberly consider. Listen, if I live like an unbeliever, I very well may be an unbeliever. So let's always be about repentance. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you're perfect. It means at the heart, you're about repentance. You're always found returning to Christ, always crying for mercy, always seeking to submit to his word, always progressing in spiritual growth. And as you do, you will have greater assurance that, verse 10, he will never fall. You will never give in to apostasy if you stay close to Christ and imitate Christ. Jude 24, Jesus promises to keep his people from stumbling. And that is true. He will preserve us so that the one God elects, he elects forever. The one he calls, he calls forever. It can't be lost. But our text emphasizes the other side of that. We must also persevere. And as we do, our pressing forward is not the ground of our acceptance with God, but it does show the fruit of our acceptance with God. You get that? Think about Peter's own experience. Remember how he denied Christ three times? He abandoned Jesus when Christ needed him most. He was nowhere to be found at the cross scene. It was a horrible sin. It was akin to Judas's betrayal. And yet, what's the difference between Peter and Judas? Despite his awful transgression, Peter came back to Christ and kept following Christ. Judas stayed away and took his own life. Peter persevered. Judas apostatized. Heed the warning given here and keep going forward in loving Christ and, and walking with Christ. At times, the scriptures motivate us unto holiness through the gospel of Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15 tell us the love of Christ controls us or compels us to do what? To not live for self, but to live for him who died for us. But other times, the Bible uses warnings to spur us on in spiritual growth. And this is one of them. Yes, God keeps his people. But you need to keep him. Doing so makes your calling and election more sure. That is, your perseverance is like signposts on the road to heaven, confirming that you are going in the right direction. 
Now, your perseverance is not the material or efficient cause of why you get there. That's Christ and his justifying work alone. But your perseverance is evidence that you are holding on to Christ. And he's holding on to you. And if you persevere, do you know what will happen? Look at verse 11. There will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The word entrance there. It's not the best of translations. Because it, it makes it sound like your perseverance has purchased your ticket into the kingdom. A better understanding is welcome. So that the idea is like what I remember some of us experiencing several years ago after a Peru mission trip. The team hopped on the red-eye flight from Lima to Atlanta at 2 a.m. in the morning. We were totally exhausted before we got on the plane, and that continued as we flew. When we landed, we looked horrible. Death warmed over. We struggled through customs, but eventually made it there, made it all the way through. And when we came out of the restricted area, what was waiting for us? A glorious reception. I was the last one to make it out. And as I rounded the corner, I saw tons of people cheering and hugging. I saw children falling at the feet of their moms, saying, Mommy, please don't ever leave us with Daddy for that long again. We don't want to eat raviolis and pancakes for dinner. And I saw a sign that said, we missed you, Daddy. My four little children and Melody greeting me. And dear Christian, that is what is awaiting you. An entrance into the kingdom. A rich, abundant welcome, verse 11 says. There will be a celebration like you have never experienced. Because you will have finished the race. Abraham and Sarah, David and Esther, Peter and Paul, Mary and Lydia, who will be there at the finish line greeting you. But chief among them all will be Jesus, your suffering servant, your resurrected king, your savior, redeemer, and friend. The lover of your soul, he will be there with his eyes fixed on you, saying, welcome home, dear one. Welcome home. As professing Christians, we can testify to just how hard life can be. We feel beaten up by people. Beaten up by Satan. Beaten up by our inner temptations. And it's not easy to keep going. This text, it says, don't quit. Don't stop. Add to your faith. Layer up godliness to help you make it through the cold and harsh world that we live in. Set your eyes on Christ. And what he did in the past to secure the forgiveness of all your sins. What he is doing now to sanctify you and preserve you in his love. And what he will do in the future 
he will be at the front of the line, so to speak, saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Won't you persevere then? Go on holding fast to and maturing in your understanding of the doctrines of the faith. Won't you go on advancing in obedience to the deeds of the faith? It's another reason why Christ came. To lead us to spiritually grow. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Join with me. Father in heaven, we thank you that we are saved through the blood of the Lord Jesus. And it's because of your saving mercies that we ought to grow. We pray that you would help us to grow then. We confess weak is the effort of our hearts and cold our warmest thoughts. But Lord Jesus, help us to set our gaze upon you. Help us to spiritually grow. Help us to consider the results of growth. That we would be effective. And that we would be mindful of the gospel. Help us to remember the importance of growth. That it confirms our calling and election. Uh, That spiritual growth is like signposts. Showing that we are on the right road. That you've placed us there. And that there is a welcome that's coming. We look forward to it. Help us to run well all our days with our eyes on Christ. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.